Our sponsor for the month of August is the new trail running footwear company, Speedland. I got a pair of their SL PDX shoes recently and my thought process during the unboxing went like this. Are these handmade? Because they have the look and feel of shoes made by someone rather than something. Speedland's SL PDX have been getting a lot of attention and by now you might know that they're not cheap, but like you'll hear from the founders on today's show, these shoes are more of a piece of sports equipment rather than just another running shoe. Here's a quick summary about the company. Speedland was started by today's guests, Dave and Kevin, who spent the last couple of decades at the head of running for major shoe companies like Nike, Puma, and Under Armour. They knew they were never going to get the trail shoe they wanted while working in that world, so they set off on their own and started Speedland. Their sole objective was to create the world's best trail shoe with the world's best components with absolutely no compromise in quality. I'm excited to get more miles in the SLPDX, and I can't wait to hear what you think about it. You can check it out now at runspeedland.com or at the link in the podcast show notes. And if you have any questions, feel free to follow them on Instagram at runspeedland and drop a note in their inbox. Welcome back to the Fastest Known Podcast. Well, we don't mess around. We get to the straight scoop on what's really happening in the sport. And wow, a lot of things have been happening in the sport. We've had recent FKTs. Jason Hardrath just finished his 100th FKT in the Washington Bulgars. Andrew Hamilton, our guest last week in the podcast, the highest 100 peaks in Colorado. Carol Sabe is still on the Via Alpina in the Alps. Someone just did something I'd never even heard of. Andrew Cottrell did the Great Divide Trail in British Columbia and Alberta, just finished that off. And people are throwing down all the time, even though we are now into August. So I feel like Calvin of Calvin and Hobbes. Ah, the summer's almost over, but it's really not. There's plenty of time here. And you know what? Everybody including all these Olympians, if you're watching the Olympics, if you could figure it out, I can't figure it out. I feel like I'm a civilian casualty in the streaming wars. But if you can figure out how to watch the Olympics and you, if you are following FKTs, everybody has one thing in common. They are wearing running shoes. That's right. That's what we do. You might not wear a hydration vest. You might not take electrolytes. You might not use a Garmin. But you are wearing running shoes. And we are talking with two gentlemen, this is amazing, who just started a new running shoe company. It's called Speedland. And I'm just, I'm just amazed that someone has started a running shoe company. This sounds kind of hard to me, but we're going to hear it from them. So welcome, Dave Dombro and Kevin Fallon. Thanks. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. So Speedland, you just, this company just went public to months ago. So this this is all new. This is amazing. So I'm looking at your bios here, which will be in the written show notes. Now, did both of you work for Nike, Under Armour, and Puma, or just one of you? Both of us. Yeah, we worked together at all three brands. Uh, at first, just coincidentally. And uh, as we advanced in the career, we were uh, intentionally making those moves. Wow. So you have a big background in the industry, and now you've left a paying job. <laughs> no, yeah, sorry. you're not the I only mean... one to point that out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, sorry, but, I, uh... I, I've been you know, in business a lot myself, and you say, oh, wow, it must be great to be in business for yourself. But that means you don't know if you're going to get paid or not. So fill us in, Speedland. You have one product. You have a new, super high-tech state-of-the-art running shoe. So fill us in. All right. Well, I mean, Speedland is <clears throat> on a macro level. It's it's really something that Kevin and I both 
had a passion to do. Um, we both have a love of the outdoors, a love of trail, trail running. And we thought, what if you could start a company with the idea of no compromises in mind, right? Where you could make the best of the best of the best at every decision. And what, what would that generate? What would a trail shoe look like? Um, if you could do that and would it take on this idea more in the idea of equipment almost. So it's like, as you term it on your website, link to that in the show notes, of course, you call it equipment for your feet. Yeah. We think there's room, particularly in trail for elevated product. There's just a lot going on in the trail world. The, the distances that these athletes are running, the things that they're accomplishing are, are spectacular. And what we haven't really seen is the equipment, the footwear keeping up with that. There's some excellent footwear out there. We're not here to say that there isn't good stuff out there. We've been inspired by it and we've been in this industry a long time, but we saw an opportunity that nobody else was doing, which was assembling the best possible things out there for each part of the shoe and, and thinking about what would the summation of that actually be as an experience for the runner. And, and that's really what started Speedland. That was the impetus for us to say, what if we didn't cut corners? What if the brief, what if there was no brief in our industry? We've always started with, well, here's, here's the shoe and you have to build it not necessarily to be the best shoe. It's to be the best shoe at a given price. You have this much money to work with and how are you going to build that shoe? And we wanted to take that price component out because we believe the athletes deserve it. We think that if you're going to spend 50 K hundred K hundred miles or more involving hours and hours in this product, why wouldn't we give them the best that we possibly can? So that was, that was the kind of the combination of things that, that started us down the road of Speedland. I just want to fill that one in. You mentioned product brief. I used to be at La Sportiva, and, and up until a year and three quarters ago, I ran Ultimate Direction. And if you're in the industry, product briefs are a big deal. <laughs> you live by the product brief. And, of course, you outside sure should, yeah. industry, people have never heard of this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and so it, I mean, briefs are important, and... But they they always they always have a, a a couple things are always on there and and one of them is always the FOB right the 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 desired cost and we really did not take that into account intentionally from the beginning because the minute you see that is the minute you start making compromises um, consciously or unconsciously you, you start doing that because you know uh, business wise you have to hit that and we just. We, we wanted to take that out of the equation, which I think makes Speedland really unique. Yeah, and if we back up to your, your point on the brief, the brief is a critical document in the corporate product development process. It tells everybody who needs to know what the consumer is, how much the product needs to cost at retail, how much at FOB, Dave mentioned freight on board. That's the cost that the company pays the factory for the product without transportation. So, you know, all these critical elements are listed in a brief. For us, it was pretty simple in that we, we really wanted to, to make the best ultra shoe that we could. And we wanted to work closely with athletes to validate that. 
So that's the other critical part. And there's been some interesting stuff in the news on the Nike basketball side about a lack of athlete involvement and kind of you see what happens there. We really wanted to be on the other side of that spectrum. Like we are working with athletes since February in terms of them actually putting this on their feet and running in it. We've been developing longer, but that critical part that meeting face to face with the athlete and having the type of relationship where they text us right after the run or a couple of times in the middle of our run to say, Hey, look at this, or this is happening. That is something that is, is just crucial in getting to the best product. You know, we have what we believe are the best ingredients, but if we don't have the right people giving us the feedback, we may not land in the right spot. So I would just say that that critical element for us was really let's make the best product and let's validate it with the best athletes that we can go on this journey with. Wow. Well said. I want to add context to this because this is remarkable. You have said it's no compromise. That's actually on your website. And rather than the, I'm going to add context to this product brief. I will not name the company, but a friend of mine works as a designer, he has an industrial degree design. And he said, yeah, you're sitting there and it comes on your desk. They need a, two-person tent to weigh between three and three and three quarters pounds, and it has to sell at retail for $139.95. I mean, boom, yep. they laid it out. That's and so it, they're yeah. back designing. I mean, the outsider, the consumer doesn't realize how much back designing actually takes place. They're given a price point. They said, this is our salespeople say, this is what we need in order to make money here. And so they designed to that. And you just blew that off. You're, you're taking it from the ground up. Let's just forget that. Let's just do the <laughs> best possible shoe we can do. That That's different. I've literally never yeah, heard that. It, it is quite different. We, we had to do it that way in order to get to where we ultimately, uh, you know, got to here. It, it wouldn't have happened the same way if we had taken, the, you know, sometimes you have to take a different approach, right, to get somewhere different. And mm -hmm. so that's what we had to do. Um, if we had taken the same approach that's going on in the industry, you know, we most likely would have produced very similar results. Um, and that's not what we were shooting for. That wasn't that was not our ultimate goal. So um, yeah, it was a different approach and a, a different outcome as well. Well, the outcome is the SLPDX. Am I saying that correctly? Correct. You are. So Again, listeners should go on the website and look at this because we can't quite describe it on the website. But, I mean, on verbally, the website does a good job of it with your different features. But one thing we know, is we might as well just jump to this right now, is the retail, right? right. So the, the retail price in this is the, the most I've ever seen for a piece of uh, running shoe. Climbing mm -hmm. shoes, mountaineering shoes, ski shoes make this number look small. <laughs> but for a running shoe, you're listed at $375, which is more than a running shoe. So how did it get there? What does this shoe look like and how does it work? Sure. I, I think we'll get into that. I just want to, I think you just said something though that's important is when you look at other pieces of equipment, uh, mountaineering or um, cycling shoes or other pieces of equipment like mountain bikes or skis or ski boots, um, like you said, this actually number doesn't look so crazy, right? And, and the retail is $375. We'll just put it out there. And so that is actually the way we not only approach the product, but in our heads, the context we put it through is that it really is a piece of trail equipment 
um, not just a piece of trail footwear. And I think that does change the the idea. And, and now we can get into why we consider it, I think, equipment. So, you know, where you want to start on that, Kevin? Um, yeah, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of places we can start on on that. I think, again, the the cost, it landed where it landed. And that's what the assembly of such high quality components uh, worked out to be. It wasn't that we set that target again at the beginning and built to that. We said, you know, we want a PBAX foam, but actually we want a new PBAX foam that doesn't compression set as badly as what we see in some other products, right? Because this is something different. So we worked with partners to develop that. It's a new process and a new foam. Carbotex, which is a very unique and special material, their DFX carbon, it's asymmetric and it's flex pattern. So it offers you the propulsion when you're bending in a typical running pattern, but bending the other way, it uh, is very flexible. So it doesn't compromise things like trail feel and a little bit of give there. So, you know, that is a unique material and and you're going to pay for that, that material. And kind of on down the list, I think people know a lot about BOA. When you talk about high-end equipment, they do very well in cycling and snowboarding. And they have been in shoes, but I think the key difference is two two things for for us. One, the LI2 reel that they have now is, is, you know, a a step up. It's just an amazing piece of engineering. It feels different. It sounds different. It uses soft lace. You can incrementally tighten it and loosen it as well as pop and release. So there's some functionality there that's different that, that we think really works well for trail. This idea of if you're in an ultra and you need to zonally adjust your fit, bow is the, by far and away the best and you know, really only mm-hmm. choice. And so you're, we, we are willing to pay for that. And we think consumers are going to be willing to pay for those kind of things. So that is the lens that we looked at it is that this athlete, what do they need? What's the best solution independent of cost? And let's get it in there and, and then validate that it actually does do what we intended it to do. That's the critical athlete portion, right? We can talk about putting this great assembly of parts, but we need the athletes to tell us that it's functioning the way we intended. So, you know, that's that's kind of an overview of, I think, of the approach we took and the why we landed with the assembly of parts and the and the cost landed where it is. And we understand it's it's a big chunk of money. And we're asking people to put a big chunk of faith in us as a brand, as people maybe, to to when they buy this. And uh, you know, we take that very seriously. We're doing this to put better product out there, to elevate the product, not this, you know, staying in the former jobs would have been the better way to make more money for us, you know? So this is a, a an kind of something that we challenged ourselves to, to see if this, because it's a different business model at the end of the day. We don't have a bunch of $50 product that supports this top end product. This is our product. And this is a difference of Ferrari versus Ford. You know, are we going to make a few higher quality, more desirable products or are we going to make something desirable that's funded by a bunch of less desirable stuff? And, and we chose to, to take a different route, not only on the product side, but on the business side as well. Wow, you did. I like that. So as we discussed a few minutes ago, rather than saying this is what it needs to sell for, you just did the best you could and the price just was what it is. You weren't, it just right. came in. You, right. you reversed, again, outsiders might not realize that what you did is the opposite how it's usually done in the industry, but it is. 
normally you're going to work backwards from the price. It, it so, is. And uh, I think if, if we could have done something like this within a corporation, we probably would have, or we would be doing that now. It just, it, it really, I think to, to your viewers, it's difficult to do even when you have fairly high positions within big brands, this type of thinking, it doesn't really exist. I won't say it doesn't exist. It yeah. exists. It's just, it's really hard to get product through all the filters and through all the people that have to look at it and influence it. And we don't have those filters. You no. know, our athletes tell us, you know, it's a go or it's not. And that's, that's what matters to us. Especially when you're talking about trail, I think I want to add, because <clears throat> there is a lot of R and D within footwear and within the industry, no but it's typically put towards road running. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and basketball and some other sports. And, you know, the reason it's put towards those other things is, is, you know, it comes down to the, you know, where, where's, where, where are things being sold, right? Where's the money and, uh, road running is that. So trail is, is not saying that there isn't some great trail product out there, but the honest truth is the R and D is being put somewhere else. And so, you know, our focus was, well, let's put all the R and D towards trail. That's it. That's a good point. Yeah. Trail has been the uh, distant cousin, has it not? I agree. Yeah, we 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 think the same thing. It's it's pretty remarkable, considering what they're doing as well. You know, I we think so much excitement is happening out of trail right now, and the things that are are going on. And again, we're seeing carbon plates, for instance, trickle into trail. But in our opinion, they're just taking what's worked on the road and putting it on the trail. And I think when you talk to trail runners, they know it's not the same thing. There's there's such a different aspect to trail versus road. You just can't transplant one technology from road and expect it to work the same on the trail. And that's where we feel like we're, you know, really focused on innovating and doing things better for specifically for the trail. I think that's true. And I don't think I'm boring our listeners by diving into the tech. I think our listeners kind of eat tech for breakfast. So just to stay with that a minute, Nike, I'll mention a brand, they're the Zoom Fly. That changed the game. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah. Basically, yep. people were bailing. Um, the, the top road runners and track runners, distance runners, were bailing out of their shoe contracts because they needed to wear that tech. And then some of the brands were even letting them out yep. as they scrambled to emulate it. And then, as you just mentioned, there's been very few trail versions of that carbon rebound type plate. Very few. And some of them, I'm not going to name names, but some have, have had problems. Because if it's stiff in both directions, I'm, getting, I'm walking on eggshells here because I don't want to criticize them, but I'm not naming names, so I can do this. If it's stiff in both directions, you can hurt yourself. It's very interesting. So if you step on a one-inch rock with a rigid-soled shoe, you're going to torque your ankle. <laughs> if it, if it, so the rebound effect is real. I think the Nike tech, I don't want to call it the Nike technology, the carbon plate rebound technology is very real. It's totally legit. But if you don't do it specifically for trail, as you mentioned, it's a little dangerous it's an injury waiting to happen because you'll step on something and that force will be transferred into your ankle. That's right. And we, we did a, you know, we, in our time off after Under Armour, we did a little show called speed hack and we were cutting shoes up and retrofitting them and trying to make them faster and just kind of a passion project for us. But as we were doing that, we were experimenting quite a bit with trail shoes and trying things like 
cutting up the car hoka carbon x and running it on the trail to see how it works so we got a good baseline and how those shoes work and don't work on the trail and in a funny way that sort of informed some of the things that we did and those and to be clear those shoes weren't designed for the trail no they weren't trail <laughs> shoes no for sure <laughs> but but we agree and we've been enamored with the next percent family of shoes as well it's amazing we're talking about you know gained uh, efficiency and percentages that are measurable that you can put on your feet you know we think they didn't charge enough for it they could have charged $400 and people still would have bought them in the same numbers but their business model allows them to price it differently so but it's you know, we think that that idea that these there are these, you know, difference makers on your feet uh, can, can and should apply to trail. And, you know, even something like the white paper that BOA did on how their closure systems uh, really measurably Im improve agility. Now, we know trail isn't exactly agility drills, but we do also know there's a lot more agility in trail than there is on the road. So if we can gain you know, a small percentage from a better fit system in a trail shoe, we're going to do that all day. And that's, you know, we're squarely into that aggregation of marginal gain zone where, you know, if you're not a person who looks at that or even knows what that means and might not be the right shoe for you, but if you're trying to eke out FKTs, win races, or, you know, get PRs and, and you, every little thing matters, that's the kind of thinking that we've tried to apply to, to the SL. So, you know, that's, that's the, the next generation we think is really getting that detailed and specific to the sport and to every piece of that shoe. Nice. I get that. Well, as we start off by saying in the, say if you're into ski mountaineering, the, the boot could be a thousand dollars. It's like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the boot is a thousand dollars and cycling, you know, road cyclists don't blink. I mean, the shoe is four hundred dollars. No, if yeah. you spend twelve thousand dollars yeah. on your bike, spending six hundred on the shoes is nothing, right? And now, of course, trail runners. You know, there's a little bit more of the granola approach here, so that's alive and well. And yet, as you say, if you're trying to get after it and think of how much time you spend, so it's very interesting mathematics on the economics of this, isn't it? Uh, cost. Someone might say, "Oh man, fifty dollars. I don't want to pay fifty dollars." And you spend 500 hours running. So average that out. And it's like, really? You kind of, you know, how much did you spend on your car? And you might, well, actually, I spend more time on my feet than I do in a car. <laughs> and yeah. my car actually costs more than my running shoes. Uh, sorry about that. But it's an interesting bit of <laughs> metrics, I think. But, yeah, I think I think you're on a, on a point that Kevin and I talk about a lot. We were just on a... A flight yesterday and you know our, our flights cost more than the shoe you know and that's a pretty you know forgettable unpleasant flight that we had to take yesterday <laughs> and the shoes exactly the opposite right you know great a great experience for for many runs so you know i just think it's all about you know where how you prioritize things in life and you know you start thinking that this unpleasant flight is going to cost more than the SLPDX, then I then I think you, it puts everything kind of in perspective. Um, the other thing that's interesting uh, with you know there's there's a lot of features, but you know the, the plates removable. So in some ways, we actually kind of offer two shoes in one. You you could say we offer a training shoe and a racing shoe depending on how you use it, um, because we have ad, ad athletes come back and say, yeah, uh, 
I'll uh, pop the plate out for when I'm doing a certain training run, and then I'll secure it back in when I'm on a, you know, either a, a faster tempo run or a, a race or whatnot. So, uh, you know, we're not exactly saying it's two shoes in one, but you can get two different, ex- completely different experiences out of it. Interesting. So the, this is the Carbotex plate can be removed? The Carbotex, right. yeah, exactly. It can be removed and it just kind of secures in the, in the heel. Um, and so it's, it's a pretty, uh, it, what's very unique, it's never been done before. So it's, a, it's you know, I'm sure unique to, to many listeners. The other thing is the Michelin uh, outsole, you know, you can cut the lugs and trim the height. So depending on your, your region, uh, if you're in Southern California where it's dry, you might trim them. If you're living somewhere else, you might leave them long. But that also lets you customize the shoe um, in a new way as well. Again, something that's never been done to our knowledge ever. So, you know, we're doing a lot of things here that are really, really new to the market. And we realize that's going to take um, some time, you know, for for people to to figure out, for people to get used to and, and to absorb. But, uh, you know, we're pretty bullish that this is really making a better piece of equipment for you on the trail. Right. Nice. And your company is doing a few other things uh, beyond just the tech as well. For example, one can apparently, and just re- I don't know, I'm reading this on your website, of course, can send the shoe back in, in, a, in a prepaid uh, box and you will deconstruct it and recycle the components. Yeah, so we can get into that. I think the, the first thing I would just say to that, and I'll hand over to Kevin to talk, is it, we designed it with end in mind from the beginning. So it, it doesn't necessarily look like other pieces of trail footwear. It also, it's designed for a reason for end in life, uh, end of life. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, I, yeah, I would say Speedland, we're solidly positioning ourselves as a performance brand, hyper performance, that, that upper zone. But really close behind that to us is, and important to everyone, is the environmental aspects. So the idea of thinking of end of life from the beginning was critical to us. And the way the shoe is constructed, the way the midsole can come out, the way the plate comes out, there's no glue. So this can allow us in the future easily disassembly. But we're also thinking about longevity of the shoe. If we find the uppers are lasting a very long time and midsoles are wearing out, we could send consumers new midsoles and save that, that whole process. Same with the plates. We have ideas about you know consumers being able to select the stiffness that they like. We don't want to turn it into a big science project right out of the box. So we want to make sure people can just take it and run. But we want to leave the doors open to sustainability, to customized performance, to some of these very different ideas uh, as well. So it's um, you know something we've thought quite a bit about in terms of the future of where we're going to go. If we find that bio-based foam that performs as well as the PBAX foams, we'll have it in there next week. You know That's how simple it could be for us to make that change based on the construction of the product. So same for the carbon product. I mean, we love what Carbotex does because the functionality is just so unique and nothing else performs like DFX. If we find something else that does and has a lower carbon footprint or better environmental, we'll, we'll put that in there as long as we don't ask our consumers to sacrifice on the performance. That's kind of our, our approach to that. Gotcha. And you also, in addition to the recycling, in addition to designing it from the from the get-go for recycling, um, you have a ten percent aspect here. Um, yeah, please go ahead. Help me out on that. 
Yeah, I mean that goes back to you know how we see things, and and it is related to actually the the outdoor lands in general. Is we give ten percent of our profits back directly to our athletes, um, so then they can turn around and they're partnered with trail foundations or uh, <clears throat> outdoor foundations in some way, and so that lets us give back directly to the outdoor lands, but do it through the lens of the athlete. So. You know, we start with the athlete in mind, we create with the athlete, and then we also give back to the athlete. So it's a full circle. The athlete is really at the center um, of everything that we do, um, you know, in, in product creation, but also in terms of financials and everything else. So it's, it's, a, it's kind of a cyclical process in general. Well, that's really different. So I'm looking at seven athletes on your website. Does that mean they're going to get a share of the profits? They get that that 10% will be divided among those athletes and then they'll get a choice. You know, I, I think all we want to say is make sure it's relevant to kind of the outdoors and trail space. That's, that's kind of our only requirement for the, for our athletes. We want to, to give that um, feeling that local feeling, you know, I think where sometimes um, people try to approach the country as a whole in one way um, our, our approach is very different through the lens of the athlete. We want to not only demonstrate that the shoe can be tailored to that particular part of the country in a unique way and help you perform better, but we want our athletes to feel like they're giving back to their part of the world. They're, you know, big influencers a lot of times in the areas they live and run and race in. And we just think it's a great chance to be a part of that without necessarily being the brand coming in with money it's it's through through the athletes through the people who um, everybody in the community knows and and who trusts and and you know we we want to be a part of that through them that's very creative literally never heard of that so they <laughs> this seven maybe they'll they'll change of course they share in that 10 percent, but then they give to local conservation environmental organizations based on wherever they live that just takes the well, the corporate thing out of it entirely. Entirely. We're, you know, we, we learned a lot through the corporate jobs that we've had. And I think we're, we're very thankful and, and grateful that we had those opportunities. Um, but we were ready to do something else. I think at the end of our time, you know, for, for me, it was almost 25 years in, in corporate and it was great. Most of those years were great, but at the end I was really itching for something else. And I think this, the, the way we've been able to turn it into what we wanted to do and agree on that as partners uh, has has been refreshing. I mean, I, th I think we're a long way for, from saying we're successful, but I think we're happy we, we've done it anyway. Right. Wow. Phew. As a person who's been in business for himself, I'm taking a deep breath here. A lot of people look in you know, from the outside in, oh, yeah, you're in business for yourself. That's great. Well, depends on if you have rent to pay on time. Because the bank, you know, isn't that flexible. Yeah, they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it is scary. I mean, I, I, I won't say it's uh, not something that uh, has probably and continues to keep Dave and I on edge a little bit and, and anxious at times. But nonetheless, that's the excitement. That's the stuff that fuels us, too. And and so we... we uh, I don't know. We're, we're thankful to, to kind of be in this industry and, and have this chance to try and do things a little differently. And, and we're going to work our butts off to, to make this work. Yeah. And I think, you know, we believe you work hard, you have a, a, a meaningful purpose. Um, you're going to be successful, um, you know, and I think hopefully other, you know, other athletes, other people will see that and 
have similar, you know, like-mindedness and belief in what we're doing and, and want to be part of that as well. So um, it is scary, but we also, you know, feel optimistic because um, we're doing it for the right reasons. We and, and we're running into other people, other folks with similar, you know, aspirations. They want to raise the, the level of this sport. And, and so I think our opportunity to align with other people and create these communities and, and go beyond just a shoe, a piece of equipment for your feet, we want to be that part, but we want to partner and be collaborators with, with all these other aspects of the sport that can help uh, things be better. You know, that's, that's what it's all about. So we're, we're collaborators at the end of the day. Okay. And right now the, uh, the, Speedland, I, sh I shouldn't say the Speedland, I should say the SLPDX is available, DTC, which what we call direct-to-consumer, what other people know as online. Because yeah. uh, I think that to work through a dealer network, you have to spend money, not just in terms of the margin being split, but you have to spend money to educate everyone. And you have such a strong particular story, you'd have to educate you know, 500 you know, employees at shoe stores all over. And by going direct to consumer, you can provide the story yourself. You can have that relationship with the end user. That's right. You know, and, and I don't think we're, we're not opposed to um, looking at other channels of uh, distribution. If it's the right, like you just said, if they can tell the story the right way and we have a meaningful partnership, just like we do with our athletes, um, then then, you know, we're open to that. But um, at the moment, uh, the DTC model uh, is is working for us the right way. So, yeah. Thank you, gentlemen. You've really, you've thrown down, right? <laughs> I, like, I like the reference here because athletes are doing it. Like we read off this list of FKTs at the start of the show. And it's like, wow, really? People are dedicating their lives. They're making major commitments. And now you've done the same thing. You know, in the world it. of business, you've literally done the same thing. You've thrown down, and, and it's a passion project, doing the absolute best that you can. That's right. That's right. I wish you all the best of luck. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah. Thank you.